Hello, and welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, yet again, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Charles Foster Kane Institute for Media Ethics here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're discussing the touchy relationship between archaeology and the press, specifically the case of recently discovered biblical-era inscriptions from Jerusalem and elsewhere. These inscriptions, several of which are attributed to the King Hezekiah, would be dramatic new additions to our knowledge of the period. But full scholarly publications, or decent photographs, haven't appeared. And yet we're reading about these and other apparent discoveries in the newspaper. So which comes first, the PR or the scholarly publication? Does it matter? Is this a reflection of the exceptionalism inherent in ancient texts, which is to say the idea that maybe with a little help they speak for themselves, or just the credulity of the press and media consumers? Or is it really about ennui and the postmodern condition? Either way, there's a cry for help in there somewhere. Okay. So everybody just settle down here. (laughs) Oh, you've been waiting to say that. (laughs) I know. (laughs) For hours. It's it's more a question of, of what we think we're actually talking about here. But uh, but I want to begin in the traditional manner of our people and um to uh well i guess i should wish our listener uh, a happy holiday whatever holiday he or she might be celebrating or not <laughs> but then let's go right to the lightning round good okay um what was the newspaper of your childhood huh oh. Okay, that's pretty easy um, because there were there were two. Oh, I, I remember. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, so I'll 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 go first since I just yeah. kind of talked over everybody. Um, yeah. um, well, the, the New York Times in those days came in or was brought in every single day, and um, also the local paper, the Standard Star, um, hmm. which doesn't exist anymore, um, but very local news. Yeah. Okay. Well, mine was the. Home News, which was the Middlesex County, New Jersey, you know, daily newspaper. And we always got that. And then on Sunday, we got the Sunday New York Times, the Sunday New York Post, and the Sunday Daily News. Oh. And I read the sports pages of all of them with Talmudic-like <laughs> facility. It accounts for your acuity today in, in these arcane areas. Yeah. Uh, well, I got the Philadelphia Bulletin. Oh, not that I would. I would immediately turn to the comics, mm-hmm. uh, then the sports, 
and then the uh, crime statistics. <laughs> oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> and did, interesting. They, did they bring you concern and worry or was it just purely uh, intellectual fodder? No, no, it was, I was concerned. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And uh, it's a concern that's, that's lasted until today, but enough about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, I guess the issue really is uh, <laughs> newspapers and media and the things that, that they do to us. There we go. And, and the news that they bring or, or don't bring and and so on. And and the question, the question du jour is, should um, archaeological, historical finds, whatever we want to call them, be published in the press and, and social media and social media a press writ writ large uh, let's say because everybody every man is a journalist these days let's so, let's let's clarify bef- should they be published in these media before, before. they're published in academic journals sort of right. the official publications right i guess what is official these days what is official um, what makes something official? This and podcast is an official product <laughs> of, of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology. Breaking down the canon and building it back up. That's Ooh. right. Um, but what are what's the what's the order of things? Is there is there an order of things anymore? And or is it just uh, we cast we cast the dice? Or everything well, is like dust in the wind. Well, it's not casting the dice. It's whether the presentation of archaeological data, artifacts, young and old, because quite a few of the artifacts that we're going to be discussing today were found uh, over a decade ago and are only now being presented in mainstream media or mm-hmm. social media. Um, but whether archaeology should follow suit to the rest of the way things are done humanity <laughs> the west the rest of humanity which mm-hmm. is splay it all out in in uh social media and uh on podcasts and uh in the mainstream media with with all sorts of ribald interpretation or whether there should be some <laughs> if kind you of, got it flaunt it baby if you got it flaunt it right or should there be as you said earlier should there be an order well, I'm all for ribaldry. <laughs> I think I think we need more of that in in archaeology and ancient studies at at one level. Well, but at another level, well, let me let me throw some uh, let me throw a fly into the ointment. Okay. Um, and what is the role of of PR and public relations? <laughs> That's what PR stands for, <laughs> technically. In, you, in, tried to, you tried to fool us on that one. I, know. I, I couldn't put one past you two. You couldn't put one past yourself. <laughs> That's true. Um, if anyone could, I could. Uh, yeah, what, what's, yeah. what's the role of PR in, in the scholarly enterprise? In, well, that's, is that's it, it's important, but, right. but it, at what point is it important? Right. So, so maybe now that we've talked in really annoyingly vague generalities. Well, hold it. I want to just add one thing before we move from one annoying aspect of this. Oh, please. Of, of today's podcast to another, which is 
is it what is the role or what do we or what is or what do people get out of this why are they doing it good oh, the demand the side what's the motivation to call up a newspaper and say this is my interpretation of a find that has not yet been published uh versus you know what what we used to do in the old days which is a find would be published and then the mainstream media would pick it up and let's be clear that that's I have a, happens that i have three happens. answers to that i wrote them down okay, okay. Well, um if written down it must exist <laughs> well at least in this little speci spatio-temporal. <laughs> or is that species-temporal? No, uh, what was the word? Uh, Socio-temporal. Socio-spatial. Socio-spatial. Right. There you go, yeah. Come on, man, I published that term 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so if you use that term, listener, please credit Professor Dussel. Yeah. Um, is it is it money? Is it ego? Or is it the, the desire to influence larger narratives which obviously could have egotistical and materialistic <laughs> implications well, we're really not going to make any friends this podcast no we're well, not do we ever do we do we ever <laughs> i guess we have one friend out there yes we'll Somewhere. find out how staunch an ally that person is <laughs> um, <laughs> fortunately we're broadcasting from a se secure sure. undisclosed location <laughs> Here on the Under beautiful Hoople campus. Yeah. Um, we called today in Hoople. Yeah, yeah. well, Hoople is Hoople in winter. <laughs> Hoople on, on Christmas Eve. It's a more festive place you really can't imagine with the tinsel and, <laughs> and everything. Okay. And the lights. Fortunately, everybody's gone home on campus, so we can be hiding out in our, <laughs> in in our, our little facility here. Um, what was the question? <laughs> really knows okay can All you right. so let's get to the crux of the biscuit shall we please <laughs> a plaintive plea <laughs> so and this is delicate matter so we have delicate. to yeah we have to, uh, <laughs> uh in this in this year calendar year particularly but uh, there have been a number of news items that have appeared Discussing, in particular, inscriptions, new and old, newly discovered, newly <laughs> discovered, I guess we'll go with that. Newly discovered in places and on... <laughs> where, where, you at least, where you at least expect them. <laughs> that that has been known for a few years. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and inscriptions on artifacts... That were discovered, the artifacts themselves were discovered some time ago, but have been more recently reanalyzed. Um, the point, uh, all of which are, and I'll just say this for myself, I am pretty agnostic about the artifacts and inscriptions themselves. You know why? Because I can't tell. <laughs> right, right. I think you, and I think that's the most important thing is that it's hard to know what's going on because these are short blurbs in you know news in online newspapers and maybe magazines not just maybe online i think in in print print well, versions print, well. we're all reading it online we're I mean, reading it online most right. of us are going to find things like this online in in places like the jerusalem post or the yeah. times of israel um and it's hard to know 
there's no precision, real precision in the articles, of course. They're very, very short. They're punctuated with very, uh, you know, big claims, interesting, you know, claims that are going to, you know, turn the field around or right. upset the apple cart or, you know, disrupt the disruption. And <laughs> disrupt the disruptors. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? Where have we heard that? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's really hard to know what's going on. Um, some Specifics. The, right. Some, well, let me just say some of the drawings are very, shall we say, uh, impressionistic. impressionistic. <laughs> uh, okay. Unusual, I was going to say, but impressionistic is good. And some of the photographs are not, all of the photographs are not particularly clear. It's somewhat somewhat Zapruder like. <laughs> really. It, so it's hard to know what to make of this. And and you're right, Alex. That's the real issue. We can't be anything more than agnostic because we have such little information, but the but they make such a big splash. They're all over the place. And uh they, in terms of the world of certainly biblical archaeology. And, and that's because of the of the purported text within them that relates um in all cases specifically to to passages in the bible or people mentioned in the hebrew bible right. um, and that's what makes them exciting and newsworthy on a public front um and and we should also say about the photos that all the articles do say that there are better photos out there that the researchers um, have taken that will be published but have not that's yet right. been published there's always that uh, carrot the, yeah. the carrot always is Publications shortly to follow, but in some instances that's not been the case. That uh, publications, scholarly publications, have not followed. So right. well, and let's be fair: the scholarly publication process is a particularly constipated one. <laughs> <laughs> and not always. Some that come out quickly and and are dated, and some journals pride themselves on moving things quite expeditiously. Right. Right. And some well, archaeologists pride themselves on moving things quite expeditiously, and they do, but not everybody. Not not everything, and not and not everybody. So, but we want to be fair that they're they're. Let's believe that there are scholarly publications out there, working their way through some sort of academic process. Should we define at this point what we're calling a scholarly publication? Because well, I think we should actually talk about what we're talking about first. Oh, that's a good okay. idea. Okay. Would someone <laughs> please do that? You know, I, I'm the I'm the weak link in terms of talking about what we're talking about. All right. So I will start, but maybe I'm going to keep it too vague, so then people can be a little bit more specific. But there have been a bunch we're nothing, of we're nothing if not vague on this. No, podcast. no, they'll still be vague. Okay. Uh, there have been a bunch of news articles lately about particular inscriptions um, found in um, the vicinity of uh, Hezekiah's tunnel in Jerusalem, um, this water system that we know well, we know about uh, physically, archaeologically, and that's also specifically mentioned in the Bible associated with uh, Hezekiah, the King Hezekiah of Judah, um, changing the, the flow of the water into Jerusalem for um, as part of his way of, of fortifying or refortifying um, Jerusalem um, right before an Assyrian attack. Uh, so, so this is a big deal in terms of biblical history. And these inscriptions uh, have that have been, been apparently uh, deciphered in a way that mentions Hezekiah, mentions the pool in Jerusalem. Um, and there are bunches of them and some are longer and some are shorter. And again, the 
artifacts um, on which these inscriptions are said to have been found have been known for a long time, but they've been re-examined more closely. Careful photography apparently has been done, which has allowed particular researchers to uh, reconstruct inscriptions that were right. Well, we should say that that the so-called Hezekiah inscription has been known for a hundred and whatever fifty years. Right. Now resides in in Istanbul, um, not Constantinople, and um, I've heard it both ways. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I like the I like the other way really in some respects. Um, it talks about. I'm Hezekiah. I made this tunnel, and it was found in the tunnel. So it was like in situ, right, it's, right there. Right. It, it's it's it memorializes the place where the diggers coming from two directions met in in the middle, kind of right. like um, and kind of like how the the uh, tunnel was was dug. <laughs> tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> the, and an apt comparison. <laughs> I've always in, in engineering terms. Right. But now that there there seem to be, or it is proposed, uh, that there are a, a couple of more inscriptions at different parts of the channel, um, which well, talk which talk about other aspects of the the period and the the king's reign and and a lot of cursing going on, yeah, and a lot of cursing. Well, and, so let's let's talk a little bit more about the specifics, and the specifics are that. Um, well, firstly, the Salome Tunnel inscription is now thought to have more lines. Right. More lines have been detected on the uh, stone artifact itself. In Secondly, all the reading, wait, sorry, can I just ask about that? In all the reading we did, have we seen any images that show where the new lines are supposed to have been found? I haven't. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't okay. necessarily mean anything, but, uh, and secondly, in the, uh, in the Sloan Tunnel, near the pool, there are frames carved into the tunnel. And those frames have, are well known and are, have been known for, for many years. In fact, Vincent talks about one of them and how there's no inscription in the frame. And it was believed that up until now, that these frames were empty, that right. either the there was no inscription or the inscription had been taken out or something happened. But right. now recent re-examination of the frames suggests that there are inscriptions that have been very heavily eroded, which is why they escaped detection and that now they're being detected and they're being photographed. And we will soon have a scholarly article on these five new inscriptions. Though I don't even know if it's five. I don't know if it's four new ones. Well, I think it is five new ones. And then the added lines to the to right. the uh, Hezekiah, and, and this is an entirely plausible uh, possibility, <laughs> yeah. um, which Absolutely. which which would overthrow this notion that uh, Judean kings didn't have lots of monumental inscriptions. So we should say that one of the friends of the podcast and a blog that we're going to reference in a couple of minutes uh, that's that's a, a blog by Chris Ralston. Uh, a very fine scholar at George Washington University um, uh, said has said that he's already discussed and I'm not sure published, but the fact that there are monumental inscriptions from the kings of Egypt. Right, but so, the, the but the point is that 
it's it's possible that these are uh, i just can't tell from the newspaper account right and right. that's and that's the that's the issue is why am i reading about this in the newspaper damn it right right why am i why am i not reading about it first in a scholarly journal of some kind online or in paper or whatever or he, and and then reading about it um in the newspapers right. why are these these things being published so to speak first in in the popular press where the presentation is a bit garbled <laughs> we've we spend 90 minutes trying to figure out how many of these things there are right. and where exactly. they are and it doesn't really say and looking at these photos and it's kind of i don't know what they look like right um Right. And, and all... there's so many, so many media outlets have picked up the story. And because there's more than one aspect to the story, there are all these inscriptions. And then there are other inscriptions that were discussed a few months ago. It was nearly impossible for us to sort through before we started to podcast. And we kept asking each other, you know, wait, which one is that? Is that how many different articles, how many different inscriptions? And, and, and so the, the garbling was to the point that, um, we we had trouble figuring out what exactly we're talking about. Um, and the other well, thing that's say, not unusual. Well, it's but... not unusual. But no, the other thing I want to say about what our our process usually is when we find a cool thing to podcast about, um, we read the the press. Ooh, don't read. give that away. I'm giving it away. I totally <laughs> am. But then we pulling back the curtain. We yes, we always say, "Hey, is there is has this been published?" And uh, most of the time, nine out of ten times, we are able to locate the original publication, and we read through that um, in addition to the the articles that have been. Uh, yeah, that's all. That's very often the case. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. Yeah. And and I uh, this garbling issue is really is really problematic. So in one of the articles. Uh, about a late Bronze Age stone tablet from Jerusalem. Uh, the headline for the article, and I know headlines are written by different people than who write the article, but the headline says 3,500 years ago. And in the article itself, it says Middle Bronze Age. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, only a pedantic egghead like us would notice that. But those are two different things. It's either late Bronze Age or Middle Bronze Age, but it's not, you know, it's not both of them. So it's really hard to follow what's going on and what the what scholar, you know, what the people who excavated it think of it, and you know what the article is purporting purportedly saying about it, and all of that is a disservice, I think, Absolutely. ultimately to the field. And Absolutely. I, it's fine to do as much PR as you want on any given sight or find or interpretation. That's great. And we've all talked about how archaeology needs to, to do more outreach and how it needs to reach the public in, in new and interesting ways. But there has to be, in the case especially of inscription, well, really in the case of anything, anything. there has to be scholarship first and then make a big splash if it's splash worthy. Even if it's not splash worthy, if you can get someone to you know report on it, that's great. But there has to be a there there. You can't just start interpreting things and talk about how it changes the whole picture of the Iron Age and our appreciation of the kings of Judah and dating and things like that if you're not going to publish a peer-reviewed article first. 
So can we back up now? You make such a good point. I think we need to define peer review because our listener, our one listener is either an academic who knows exactly what peer review is, or perhaps is not an academic and doesn't know what peer review is. So you're driving down the highway at night. Right. <laughs> Feeling the wild turkey's bite, I guess. That's the rest of the song. Don't do that. So in case of the latter, let, let me do a quick definition <clears throat> of peer review, which is uh, you are a person, you may be a scholar with a PhD, you may be somebody who's just interested in stuff. In most cases, you're a scholar with a PhD, but not exclusively. You submit an article to a journal editor. The journal editor then takes your name off the manuscript and submits it to um, several anonymous uh, readers. So this is what's called double-blind peer review. They These anonymous readers don't know who you are. They don't have your name. So they don't know if you're a great, well-known scholar or if you're just a graduate student or, or not even officially in the field. They don't know that. Um, and you don't know who they are. So there can be no personal vendetta um, when when the process well works. okay but th th here you have to say yeah there are a lot of personal vendettas all right okay but let's but, uh, but let's not right let's, so let me let me just finish let Rachel finish the so, whole B for vendetta right <laughs> so so in best case scenario when the process works properly and it really does in most cases although you know in small fields you can kind of guess who mm. might be but whatever. Um, so you don't know who they are. They don't know who you are. The article has to stand um, on its own two feet. And the the peer reviewers will write their comments. They'll say, yeah, this is a great article. Or they might say, this is an article that could be good, but the author needs to find some more evidence. Or they might say, this is a terrible article, but they'll always explain um, what, what they're saying. And you don't know who they are. So uh, so that you, you, know, you can't be angry at them in anything beyond an impersonal way. And they don't know who you are. So they can't be saying, this person is just a graduate student. They don't know anything. Um, and they can't be saying, oh, this is a great article because this is a well-known professor of archeology. span So So that's the beauty of peer review when it works properly. And then the editor will um, also probably weigh in and, and make a final decision based on, on accepting the article, based on um, the peer review comments and if there are revisions and so on and so forth. So that's the basics of, of scholarly publication, which is very different than submitting or calling up a reporter and saying, hey, I found this, you wanna write an article on it. And then the reporter does. Right, it's all, it's all about vetting. It's all about making sure that there is some authenticity and accuracy and scholarship, uh, accepted scholarship behind the assertions. Right. And of course, we live in a world now, thanks to the internet and all sorts of other things, in which this whole, you know, the role of the editor and the role of vetting data information has been completely upended. It's not, it doesn't exist anymore. Right. Uh, makes teaching very challenging. Uh, we mentioned in an earlier podcast about uh, the apocalypse in archaeology. Uh, so this is this is something that we've touched on a little bit earlier, and now we're revisiting it because of all of these articles about inscriptions that we don't know anything about. Right, right. So so what we're talking about all these inscriptions. To our knowledge, um, and to our colleagues' knowledge, because we're not the only ones who have mentioned this in our in our public channels, um, there's uh, there's no publications in a scholarly venue. There's no peer review publications done yet. Right. Okay. And well, so uh, in in deference to the two of you, I'm not going to I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer about about the peer review process. 
we'll leave that to the side and and we'll go with your glossy idealized thank you, thank you. fantasy world of, of everybody acting you know uh honestly and and selflessly well never we mind have... never mind that my okay, hold it nope i need to interject here <laughs> you have just stepped down from editing a asor publication on peer review which was not peer review but it was alex review nothing <laughs> went on that nothing went on your publication your electronic publication that wasn't accurate so there was a review process so sure, i think right. but but you need to own up a little bit i mean you're you know yes there's lots of lots of vendettas and there's lots of pettiness fine but you know there's also a process and you actually participated in that process in the most upstanding way in the most upstanding way i i i did it out of the goodness of my heart <laughs> my my cheating heart um you didn't okay. publish that article i wrote on time travel <laughs> <laughs> i don't well i'll go back and look at that no the Go ahead. See, that completely derailed my, <laughs> my my train of thought. It's like the wreck of the old 98 in my head right now. Uh, um, I worked oh, here. The, the, the point I was the point I was getting at. Yes. Um <laughs> is that is there a middle ground in terms of getting um scholarly results in archaeology or other fields out to the public before the full academic publication in the form of, let's say, press releases from a university or a sponsoring organization um, that go through, you know, the, the PR department of the University of Southern North Dakota and are presented to then to uh to the rapacious journalists who go go do their own misinterpretations and are there ways of kind of squaring the circle here as opposed to um academics themselves calling up the reporter and saying hey stop the presses stop the presses let me show you what i got well are we are we just arguing for intermediation of some kind? It's an interesting question. Well, it's look my, in your, look it's in my your speciality. chat because I've just sent you a press release oh. regarding one of these inscriptions and all of the points that you just brought up, Alex, about the you know sort of uh, behaving poorly. It's not a press release. This is the this is the the news item. Right, but it's on the. Yeah, but, but they they sent they sent out a news item it's not well how is how, oh i see because this is by the times of this right, right. They, okay right so it isn't a press release you're right but, but they did think, there was a press release clearly there was a press release but i don't think you know I, I don't i don't know that that's the case but here's what i here's what a, a a model that i'm thinking of a couple of years ago um one of the one of the dams on the Euphrates, I think, was cut off the water to downstream. And as the water dropped, this huge Matanian city that had been flooded was right. exposed. And these um, 
German archaeologists went in and they they excavated this ginormous Mitannian palace of the second millennium. And it's fantastic. And it's not fully published published yet. But here's here's a discovery that's so wacky and and out there, an under, you know, a palace revealed from underwater that their university, whatever it was, um, sent out a press release. Um, and with with cool pictures of all this stuff and quotes from the excavators saying, yeah, this is cool. It's different. It's new. Why is that? Why is that different? How is that? How is that different? And how? And, and I'm going to make it even more difficult for the two of you. Okay. As is my one. How, how is how is any of this stuff different <laughs> from finds that get reported, reported in big scare quotes that get meant this discussed in academic papers presented at scholarly meetings, which then never appear in, in publication. Right. Well, frankly, I've never understood people who, or, or never fully understood people who cite uh, people's public presentations because you can't, they're, they're ephemeral. Um, and, uh, and they have not understand been, why people do these things, except, you know, to I mean, go to different cities. They've been peer reviewed in, in the sense that they have been vetted by the chair of whatever session of. No, they have. I'm vetted by it. Well, hold it, hold it. Okay, everybody. Uh, oh, now I need vetted. to say, everybody simmer down. It depends on the conference. Okay. AI conference, everything gets vetted. ASOR conference, the vetting is very, very light. So but it, it is vetted. Uh, well, what about the. Uh, I remember fondly the the Noah's Ark sessions that we all okay. attended, and, and that's I think a special case because of of how it was put together. Let's say, but um, but, but it's not okay. But it's not even that. It's not a question of sensationalism. It's a question of here's something that I found, whatever okay. it is, okay. cool, so, prosaic, doesn't matter. Okay, so you present it, okay. um, and then twenty years later, where the hell's the pub publication? Well, don't maybe ask. Maybe I'm the worst person to ask about that. J'accuse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No I, I call Professor Dessel to the stand. <laughs> Please don't do that. But let me answer that because there is an answer to that. One, we have a special case. Uh, so the Matani situation is one thing, and there are photographs of the excavation in C2. Right. Oh, okay. it's a real what, thing. Right. It's a real thing. Yeah. What we're talking about tends to be inscriptional evidence from the biblical world, right. which resides in its own little special, you know, terrarium. Yes, it where, does. Where there's all sorts of strange and unaccounted for, you know, developments and growths and everything else. The second thing is that inscriptional material has is is very different in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Artifacts and archaeological sites where you can just, you know, photograph it and send it out there. Um, they tend to be highly interpreted. In fact, all of these publications that we're referring to are really about the interpretation and not the artifact. If it yes. was just yes. like, look at this artifact, everyone would go, what artifact? What are you talking about? I see some scratches, maybe some letters. I see some shapes. It's a Rorschach test. It's this, it's that. Whereas an archaeological site is like, oh, wow, look at that big site that we didn't see two weeks ago before the, you know, the flooding occurred. What so, site? <laughs> right, what site? Well, so we're really talking about articles that put first and foremost, you know, sensational interpretation 
as opposed to the actual artifact itself. Right. Right. And I think this is a whole other piece of it that you're bringing up. I mean, it's as always, it has to do with context and archaeological context and and um, what is interesting to the public. But may I remind us all of the debacle of the James ossuary from like 20 years ago um, and, you know, which turned out to be a recent forgery. Um, there was a real ossuary, there was a real inscription on it, but then there was an addendum to the inscription, which was a forgery. But this made so much, this was made so much of by the press uh, that it took a long time to sort out the fact that this is a problematic artifact. Um, right, and the same thing with the inscribed or uh, little pomegranate ivory. Right, which sat in a museum for years. Right, so there's the issue of forgeries also. So I think that which, which we should add, nobody is talking about right. in, in yeah, these cases. We're not cases. talking about forgery here at all. Yeah. But, but what I, people are talking about here, and I think we should, I'm sorry, but, but I think we should say that what said. people are talking about here is reconstructing based on scratches, which are barely visible, um, and in some cases not visible to the naked eye, reconstructing entire phrases that relate to people in the Bible and entire long inscriptions, um, which include a lot of cursing, curse inscriptions uh, right. based on based on These marks that have not been available to anyone but the one or two scholars who've examined them the rest of the scholarly world hasn't been able hasn't been privy to the to the excavation uh, uh, to the good photographs uh and and hasn't been able to decide for themselves and that's also the point okay but that's that's all that's also always the case it all it always has been the case that well, somebody but, Somebody will come along and say, I have this and right, it's but, totally right. cool. And can I have a picture of it? I'm going to publish it. Right. Um, it's in it's in press. I'm still working on it. Whatever. It, it happens in particular with manuscripts and inscriptions. Right. That's the thing. But it also happens with artifacts sometimes. Yeah. And years can go by. Right. And so think about like the Dorak treasure. Right. right. And how that came out. And that how it all disappeared, and it was only published in the Illustrated London News. And uh, for a variety of reasons, it, it wasn't ever published. It wasn't ever available. It wasn't possible to publish. But it became sensationalized, and we have no idea yeah. of the authenticity of the Dorak, so-called Dorak treasure, at all, right? Yeah. And, and we're never going to. So again, there's where there is a process, whether you. Whether there are problems with the process, that's, I think, a slightly different question. But if you follow the process, if you publish in a peer-reviewed fashion, then at least there's something for the rest of the field to go on. And mm -hmm. you can have all, you can question, even think things published in, you know, uh, good journals. You can always, especially, um, well, once it appears. Yeah, you, you can question it and people do all the time. And that's sort of the whole point that that's once, sort of the yeah. that exactly. once it's there, once it's published in a peer review context, other scholars have have something on which to judge it. And they can say, you're crazy that you think that this is a mem or a bait or whatever letter they think it is. And um, or they can say, wow, that really is. Um, and scholarship builds on itself that way. If they didn't have this stuff to argue about, there wouldn't be a. They'd, they'd make there, it up. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, shouldn't have that. <laughs> Yeah, well, it wouldn't. There wouldn't be anything to argue about except this this kind of stuff. So we have these inscriptions from Jerusalem, 
uh, one supposedly from the late Bronze Age or 3,500 years ago, uh, five from the reign of Hezekiah, all from the uh, Siloam uh, Tunnel. And we also have the Mount Abel curse tablet and all of the problems that 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 tablet is a little bit exaggerated. Tablet, right. I'm just trying to write whatever it is. Lead. It's a little, it's a little schmut, schmitchik of lead. Right. Um, squished over. Right. And the fact that we have all of these happening in the last, you know, six to eight months uh, is one of the reasons why we decided to kind of tackle this thorny issue. Maybe not uh, the most. Um, I don't even know what to say. Well, it's not our funniest episode. Thank you. <laughs> See, don't step on the, uh, you're stepping on the humor here. Sorry. Um, not the funniest episode, but a real This is the funniest episode ever. I think it might be, actually. <laughs> um, well, it's. It's an issue. Know, it's a real issue is what we're right. saying. So I, I think if you discover a new site. <laughs> we're getting real. Right. If you discover a new site and it's real and spectacular and you have photographs, like like a Gobekli Tepe before it was published. That's a good one. Real and spectacular. <laughs> For all you Seinfeld fans out there, yet another reference. Um, that was unintentional. Um, no, that's that's why the listener tunes in for this kind of inadvertent. <laughs> then that's of a different order than what we're talking about here. Yeah. So well, what, I, if, what if what what if. Uh, what about just news? You have an excavation. The reporter calls you up and says, "What's going on? What do you? What do you? How do you deal with that?" You know, there is a there is a a market, a demand, particularly for biblical related things, but also for archaeology, archaeology everywhere, in greater or lesser quantities. We're not You're, called on enough by the press to discuss things. I mean, some of us are. I don't know if any <laughs> on the podcast are, but I, de uh, I detect some some hurt. Yeah, I'm, I'm not consulted. <laughs> uh, but no, but 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 yeah, because I think we would all respond, and I think archaeologists do respond when the press calls on them uh, appropriately, saying things like, "Well, I'd like to see the final publication." Um, preliminary publication. Or the preliminary publication. Okay, but let let let's uh, let's talk about um, in particular projects that are going on in Israel. So a lot of highway projects at a, at a site like um, Ain Esor, they've right. opened up a total of a thousand squares. Right. At a site like um, Beit Shemesh, mm -hmm. there's like a thousand squares, literally. Yeah. And right. it'll it'll take years, decades, yeah. before, before a formal publication or even meaningful preliminary publications. Meanwhile, the public is driving over these roads or you know these detours mm -hmm. and going, "What the hell's going on?" So the reporter calls up and says, "The, right. the director Again, says, what's going on?" You're mixing, How do you respond? Right, you're. I respond by saying a site that can be photographed that's real and potentially spectacular is different than the interpretation yes. of a of a inscription they're uh, they're yes. just different orders and i submit to you you know that you know, you know that professor jaffe <laughs> so you're 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 doing some kind of uh res resort to inscriptional exceptionalism well i think that there is just a um a reality to the data and how I, it, 
how it's found. And if you if you're excavating, you know, an, an incredible Middle Bronze Age site, for instance, and you find wall frescoes and a basement filled with wine jars, what? that for instance, That's that yeah, you should call the press and have them take photographs of it and have you in the middle of those photographs and you offering up your opinion about what you just found. Right. I think that's fine. Right. I agree. So the so the the process of you, the the project director, offering your opinion of what is I mean it's it's sort of a it's sort of a platonic uh, conundrum here. Well hang on though. <laughs> I mean, and and the one that you're referring to, JP, the the um, frescoes and the wine jars is really a spectacular archaeological find. Would these inscriptions have they they're real not... and they're spectacular? <laughs> All we right, can't say that enough. All <laughs> right. It's been played already. <laughs> Move along, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Um, the if if the two or three letters hadn't been. Um, hadn't been reconstructed, and that's the key word, reconstructed, to be the name of Hezekiah, a well-known and important biblical king who, um, who, among other things, is known for his monotheistic reforms. Had they not had been reconstructed, these few letters to do with Hezekiah, would the press have cared? And this is, and and so what you know, it's not, it's not that it's an inscription; it's how the inscription has been rightly or wrongly interpreted that the press is playing up because it has to do with something in the bible um right and the motivation nothing the in the bible very, yeah the motivations of the press are very clear yeah they, they just want to generate uh hits or you know sales and i would go farther i probably shouldn't but <laughs> i would go farther and say this is this benefits the um folks who are doing the excavating and reconstructing and interpreting um look the only reason when i'm affiliated with the dig when my college is affiliated with the dig um the what i hope for never happens or rarely happens what i hope for in terms of press releases is wow somebody local or not so local is going to see this article and is going to be inspired to give money to me so i can continue to excavate well, and maybe publish so right so so that's that's the motivation uh, between making uh, for the excavator in any case inscriptions non inscriptions for making a big splash in the press um it's it's monetarily motivated whether it's successful or not is different but yeah yeah it's yeah. uh that's the that's the materialist interpretation of the uh, of the process it's more than that it's it's a sort of a a conundrum for the field because you want to be professional about it um, always, right? But in order to have money to be professional about it, you need to make it splashy. Right. Well, that's it's no it's no different anywhere. Um, it's been no different anywhere in in Near Eastern archaeology or classical archaeology or any other archaeology for the last two hundred years. I agree, one hundred percent. And and that has created a skew towards finding, you know, cool things. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand. What did we read about in the New York Times this past week? We read about archaeomagnetism studies, which, right. yes, it has a biblical chronology hook to it that now, because of all this magnetic <laughs> magnetism reversing and going this way and burning and gets burned into the brick and blah, 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 you can date certain biblical events much more, much more clearly. But that's, you know, that's uh un unphotogenic let's say 
and it's it's science sciency. Well, and science is getting a big play, yeah. and a lot of these kinds of you know Ooh. discoveries, if they if they're if they're coming out of the lab, or they're coming out of you know genetics, high res right genetics and high res photography and all those kinds of things. They they do remote make, sensing right. They do make a splash, um, and there sometimes the interpretations creep in and become part of the whole article, but oftentimes it's the elucidation or the greater degree of um, uh, um, resolution resolution of the mm -hmm. of the artifacts themselves and what that, that and what that suggests. Right. Except for the genetics stuff. Right. The, the genetic stuff is being which is great. Yeah. Which we which we don't understand in the least how it's done. Right. Um because you know, after 10th grade biology, I was told not to take any more. <laughs> Please <laughs> do not put that boy in a science lab ever again. <laughs> we're, we're still recovering our eyebrows from the last. <laughs> uh, but, but the point is that there are tremendous claims that are made on the basis of, of these new studies. Sure. And where at the very least we can say the samples are kind of teeny tiny. Right. That's my that's my major critique. Right. And even if the samples aren't teeny tiny, the interpretive framework is <laughs> suggested by uh, some of these uh, people who do the DNA research are extraordinary. Like, for instance, you know, the whole Indo-Europeans, uh, you know, militarily uh, slaughtering male European males and uh, in, in a huge population change. Uh, with the Indo-European movements, right? Crazy, you know, big right. statements like that. Um, there is, of course, even with small samples, the, those DNA articles are chock filled with data, right? And again, it's very hard for for us to parse the data. So I guess there is there is a um, you know there's sort of a pecking order. There's sort of a valuation system that is in place that we put in place, and it is subjective. And others could see the valuation system differently. Um, but there is a little bit of exceptionalism with inscriptions. And I will offer you this. Tablets often find some degree of exceptionalism, and there's always a difference of opinion between archaeologists and text, or there's often a difference of opinion between archaeologists and text scholars on how tablets that find their way onto the antiquities market should be handled. Right, right. Right. And 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 that's that exceptionalism whether objects that were looted uh should be published and considered real data. Right. Um, because even though they lack their context um is a very serious issue. And having said that, there are certain publications which say absolutely not. And there's certain publications which say these these data are data in their own right and right. have to be taken seriously, and um, we're going to go with it. Right. And so it does seem that texts and inscriptions always get handled and treated a little differently. Handle me with care. <laughs> Don't right. handle me well, <laughs> ever. I want to say something sort of, sort of, kind of the opposite, but not really the opposite. That's not like it. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> which is it's about this this late Bronze Age inscription um, again from the Gihon 
spring area. And it's one of these cursed ones. It's apparently a curse against the governor. Okay, so when I looked at the only newspaper published photograph of this thing, to me, and I know it's not just me because I remember when it first came out in the press, um, people on Facebook, our colleagues were commenting on Facebook. So I'm not the only one. To me, it looked like a chisel marks on a fragment of maybe a stone box, like the inside of a stone box. Um, it doesn't look like letters to me. I'm not an epigrapher, right? I'm an archaeologist. So what do I know? But that's what it looks like. And if I had an actual publication, a scholarly publication of it, then maybe my mind would be much more easily changed. I'd have something much better, stronger to judge it on. And I think, oh, okay, so this is a particular form of a letter, even though it doesn't look like anything I'm, I've am i casually seen in my non- oh, So you're just blindly following authority. Um, no, <laughs> no I, I don't. I I don't want to just trust myself when I look at something. I want somebody who you can is only you can only trust yourself. Who is an epigrapher who has published it properly? That is having it peer reviewed by other epigraphers. Uh, before I make my archaeological determination, okay, uh, that, like that's that's fine. I can't do that because I that's have- fine. But let's let's give a shout out here to the late great Oscar Muscarella. Okay. Good. Um, who was a fabulous Whoa. scholar. He was a fabulous guy. I was privileged to know him who spent, you know, 50 years railing against stolen artifacts and exposing faked artifacts, fake artifacts that people, his colleagues, your colleagues, our colleagues fell over themselves and created all sorts of interpretations, small and large. And, um, and he would just say, "Nope, <laughs> you know, this appeared from nowhere. It looks, it looks like crap. It's obviously, you know, you look at these data and that data, and it's all, this is hooey." Mm-hmm. Um, so authority, I have, I have a problem with with authority <laughs> and authorities, um, and well, you know, just because somebody see somebody sees somebody sees this letter or that letter i mean look at any publication of any cuneiform document and or low uh, of any review of a of a publication of cuneiform documents you'll see you know 20 pages of correcting the other guys um spelling and interpretation of these chicken scratchings right so, but it, but it's in and, a, and that's the procedure. That's fine. Exactly. That's the procedure. And if you want to upend the procedure, that's fine. But again, I, I upend nothing. Well, but but again, then what are you going to be left with ultimately? And you know, that's not an answer anybody has. But <laughs> what did he say in the in the movie last night? Nobody wants to disrupt the system itself. Right. The system <laughs> itself. Yeah. Here <laughs> sure we're referring to the movie, the uh, glass glass onion. Yeah. which which um, was showing in in here on campus last night <laughs> so we it was only 40 below so we had a good crowd that's right yeah. hardy southern north dakotans i want to i want to bring up another uh sort of angle to all of this and that is is there a difference between blogs and here we are referring to a good friend and colleague of ours blogs and these kinds of popular media presentations. Right, right. Uh, well, uh, distinction in what respect? Is a trustworthiness an, authority, an authority in the field uh, 
which often has links to publications and the scholar in question here is uh, publishes prolifically and is recognized as a expert in the field is that of a different order than popular presentations. Some blogs do not meet the kind of standard that we're referring to here. And we're talking about Chris Ralston's mm -hmm. excellent blog on epigraphy and other topics. Uh, so not all blogs are created equally, but do we, well, would you, would you say anything categorical about blogs? Because they too don't undergo a peer review process. Right. That's right. a no, good point. Well, first I, I would say that, um, amusing podcasts have to be taken as the most authoritative of Obviously, course yes um below <laughs> that is kind of everything else and everybody else <laughs> uh yeah well you look at a, there there are a lot of blogs out there with a lot of footnotes and a lot of references and links and stuff and i wouldn't throw them as far as uh, i could throw them but um, some blogs but, uh, are, some do yeah. are some are quite different Right. Exactly. Of a different order. So, you know, how do we right. how would we deal with those? I think that's it's, a really hard it's question. It's all about who you know. It's, it, it is. It, you have to know who the person is and uh, you have to know. And, and that's and that is an issue because, of course. What, but what if you're a lay person? Let's exactly. say a person who listens to an authoritative podcast, but wants to learn more. Right. Um, what 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 are they supposed to do? Right. OK, so they'll go to Chris Ralston's um uh, excellent excellent okay. and they'll they'll learn quite a lot but you know chris doesn't cover everything in all of biblical archaeology or near eastern archaeology um how, how do people how do people out there in the world um learn more you go to wikipedia well this is this is it what do you what are you what are you going to learn you're going to be gonna... you're stepping in a minefield there one thing that that is has always been a problem, but is getting to be even more of a problem, is you know my undergraduates, um, and <laughs> they are a problem as well. Uh, don't really understand the difference between don't at all understand the difference between a peer peer review publication, a journal article, a newspaper article, a blog post. Never mind whose blog post. You know these are all in one category of quote unquote publications, and they're all equally authoritative to at least the undergraduates that that I see, and I do spend in ridiculous amount of time depending on the class um and how frustrated i am and if it's an upper level class or not but you love it because what? you're devote you're devoted to your students explaining what a peer review article is and <laughs> and what they should be looking for and and what um and at the very least you know don't end up uh citing some undergraduate paper that has been posted on an undergraduate blog site and i think this is really the problem that most people, most lay people can't necessarily distinguish between what is actual information and what is, is, I don't know, fake news. Right. Or, or infotainment or just um, edutainment or right. tainment of some kind. <laughs> right. um, and that's what, and that's why this kind of stuff is so important to talk about. Yeah. And, and the, the, you know, the general public really doesn't stand a chance because they're not going to, nor should they necessarily have to do all the legwork to figure stuff out. But that's why I think there's a greater responsibility on the scholars to kind of ensure that what they're saying um, meets a certain kind of standard of scholarship. Yeah. And I think it would be good if, you know, all scholars sort of went through that process. 
Well, there's an issue of modesty also. <laughs> oh, okay, so they should be dressed when they go through the... <laughs> Always. <laughs> At least wear pants, please. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, well, I, but I there's think... a... But the the modern world is a rush is is a ru- is is a cry for help. It's a rush for attention. Everybody and everybody in 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 every field, competitive or not competitive, wants to be noticed to overcome the ennui that is inherent in the atomized postmodern. Oh my god! Era. An existential cry from help from from one of the team. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, so someone bring him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to get that blood, <laughs> sugar level higher. Um, yeah, right, yeah. right. So but, this is okay. so this is just part of a much larger societal. It's a, it's a much larger societal problem of everybody. Right, you have something to say, you want to get noticed. Right, the pandemic didn't help. Right, and because everybody's sitting in their pajamas. And uh, for entertainment, not that that's a bad thing. We don't want to get the pajama lobby against us. No, that's <laughs> well, we're very pro pajamas. I'm very pro pajamas. Yeah, um, yeah, but but everybody should. There should be procedures. Damn it! Sure, <laughs> I think we all agree on that. Listen to authoritative podcasts first. That's right. Take your cues from there. Um, are those our final thoughts? <laughs> I, th- I think I think when we extrapolate out to the you know ills of of the modern world, yeah, I think we're pretty much at the end. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Okay, we review Mad Max movies. <laughs> That's what comes next. Okay. 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 Well, this episode has me frantically scanning the evening edition for the latest news of inscriptions. In the meantime, though, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Dumont Television Network. Be sure to catch another thrilling adventure of Captain Video and his Video Rangers Monday through Fridays at 7. So, to get in touch, leave us a comment or send us an email at This Week in the Ancient Near East. It's all one word, and yes, it really is a real email at gmail.com. Or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass. 02134.